Hello everyone, what is up? Welcome back to another episode of Killer Instinct, you guys. Thank you so much for joining me today. If you're new here, hi, my name is Savannah and I am your host of Killer Instinct. Before we get started, make sure you go ahead and hit that subscribe button, that way you never miss an episode. We post weekly on the podcast and on YouTube every single Wednesday and you are not going to want to miss it. For today's episode, while it might be a little bit more of a shorter episode that does not take away from the brutality of this case, and that's why I wanted to share it with you guys today, because truly I couldn't believe it as I was going through my research, and I knew that this was one that I wanted to share with you guys today. So with that being said, let's jump right on into it. So today we are talking about the murders of Rick and Gail Brink. Rick Brink was born on December 2nd, 1958 to his parents, Garrett and Ida May. Now his wife, Gail, was born on April 24th of 1965 to her parents, Wendell and Dorothea. Now, the two of them met and got married in 1985 when Gail was 20 years old and Rick was 26 years old. The two of them moved into their home together in Park Township, Michigan, and they were excited and eager to begin the rest of their lives. Now, as you guys know from previous episodes, I do like to give a whole backstory on the victims that we are talking about today. However, unfortunately, there really hasn't been that much information released to the public in regards to Rick or Gail's background or their upbringing, so I am unable to provide you with that information. However, what we do know is that the two of them met and got married and for all things considered seem to be in a very happy marriage. Now, what we also know is that the last time that either Rick or Gail was seen alive was on November 21st of 1987. The night of November 21st was a Saturday, and that night Rick and Gail attended a wedding from one of Rick's high school friends, and they were seen leaving the reception at around 11 p.m. that night. Now again, like I said, November 21st was a Saturday, and when Monday rolled around and neither Rick nor Gail showed up to their jobs, their co-workers started to worry. It was definitely unlike either of them to not show up for work, especially unannounced. So much so that Rick's co-workers, along with his parents, ended up driving over to their home later that afternoon just to do a welfare check and make sure that Rick and Gail were okay. And that really goes to show how unlikely it was for Rick and Gail to not show up for work. They were very responsible. And when they didn't respond to any texts or any calls, like I said, Rick's parents and co-workers went over to their house. And when they did, they made a horrific discovery. When they walked into the home, they found Gail laying in her bed, and it was clear that she had been shot in the head three times. Rick was also found in the driveway, sitting in the driver's seat of his car with two gunshot wounds to his head. Immediately, the police were called by one of Rick's co-workers, and an investigation began. 
Now, one of the first things that investigators noticed was this did not seem to be some sort of robbery gone wrong. All of the valuables were still left in the house, the jewelry, the TVs. There was even just spare cash lying throughout the house. Nothing had been taken. Gail's purse and her wallet were still sitting on the kitchen counter. They both had their wedding rings still on. So this showed police that this definitely was more of a personal and targeted attack, more so than a robbery gone wrong. But something that was also surprising to police is that they were not able to find any sign of the murder weapon or any evidence from it, meaning they didn't find any shell casings, any bullets, there wasn't a gun at the house, there was nothing there that led police to a murder weapon other than the fact that Gail and Rick had clearly been shot which also showed police that whoever was there and who was responsible for this wasn't necessarily in a rush. They weren't in a panicked rush. They were strategic, they were organized, and they didn't leave a lot left behind. And it's also important to note in this that this is 1987. The developments in forensic technology is nowhere near anything close to what it is today. But regardless of any of that, there was little to no physical evidence throughout the house. There was no DNA, no fingerprints, again, no shell casings, none of it. And so ultimately, and unfortunately, this case ended up going cold for years. Now, luckily, in 2011, the Ottawa County Sheriff's Office created a cold case team, and they decided to reopen Gail and Rick's case. There were new detectives assigned to the case, and they started investigating it. And again, at this point, this was 24 years later. And in the reopening of the investigation, there were over 200 interviews that were conducted, and police interviewed everyone and anyone in Gail and Rick's life, and that started with the family. More specifically, Gail's brother's wife. Gail had multiple siblings, she had sisters, and she also had a brother named Ryan. And Ryan's wife was named Pam Wingarden. Now, when Gail and Rick had been brutally murdered, Pam and Ryan had just recently started dating. Pam also had a son from a previous relationship named Nathan, and about a year after Gail and Rick's murder, Pam and Ryan got married. After they got married, the two of them also had three children of their own named Caleb, Eliza, and Benjamin. So in September of 2012 is when Pam was contacted by the detectives from the cold case team to tell her that they wanted to set up a new interview with her and with Ryan. The police wanted these interviews to be conducted separately and Pam willingly agreed to go along with the interview. Now, because police were pretty convinced at this point that whoever murdered Gail and Rick, it was more of a personal attack, that is why police wanted to start with the inside of the family initially. They wanted to interview people that were close to Gail and Rick, people that saw them consistently, and because Pam and Ryan lived in the same town, that is why they wanted to interview them. Now, initially on the night of the murders, Pam and Ryan have always claimed that they were at their friend's house babysitting one of their friends. Pam had her son there. They said they were all doing laundry there, just hanging out for the night. 
And when these new interviews were conducted on October 1st of 2012, that was the same alibi that Pam and Ryan stuck to, was that they were at their friend's house hanging out that night on November 21st. However, like I mentioned, Pam and Ryan were interviewed separately, and Pam's interview was first. And initially, Pam and Ryan were under the assumption that these interviews were going to be very quick. They were going to be about 20, 30 minutes just to get an overview of the case again. However, Pam's interview lasted a total of three hours, and in those three hours is when Pam cracked. While she was in this three-hour interview, Pam changed her story. Her story went from she was babysitting at her friend's house, they were all hanging out together, to she didn't know what she was doing on the night of November 21st, which was also a lie. Because what we know now is that Pam knew exactly what she was doing on November 21st of 1987. Imagine an app designed to make you use it less. Seems a little counterproductive, right? Well, Apartments.com's instant alert feature works exactly that way. Instead of scanning rental listings a million times a day, simply set and forget your search to whatever you're looking for in a place and let Apartments.com do the rest. From pet-friendly apartments to balconies to in-unit ACs, Apartments.com's powerful search tools let you know when the perfect combination of features you're seeking is listed. So you don't have to power through rental descriptions one by one. With more rental listings than anywhere else, Apartments Apartments.com's instant alerts mean that you can spend less time looking for the perfect place and more time on just doing you. Apartments.com, the place to find a place. So now let's walk through what we know today. What we know is that on that night of November 21st, Pam and Ryan had gone to Pete's laundromat at approximately 5.30 p.m. to do some laundry, and it wasn't until about 8 p.m. that they arrived back at Pam's house. This was the beginning of Pam and Ryan's relationship, so the two of them weren't living together yet. Now, when they arrived back at Pam's house at around 8 p.m., Ryan abruptly got up and walked out of the house. He left for several hours, not telling Pam where he was going or what he was doing. However, Pam did not question it. Ryan came back briefly after several hours and the two of them smoked some weed together before he again got up and walked out of the house and didn't return until the next morning at approximately 9 a.m. And when he did, he knocked on the door and Pam opened the door to a very visibly upset Ryan. When Ryan was standing in her doorway, Pam had asked Ryan what was going on, why he was so upset, and why he had abruptly left several times throughout the night. And that is when he started shaking his head and told Pam that he had shot Rick and Gail the night before. Now, initially, as you can imagine, Pam was in a complete state of shock. She didn't know what to do, and she didn't know what to think at that point. She had even asked Ryan if she should call the police, and Ryan told her no. Now, initially, Pam said that she needed some time to decompress from the situation and to process what Ryan had just told her. So she had asked Ryan to leave her apartment and leave her alone for several hours, which he did. Several hours later, Ryan ends up calling Pam back and asking her if he can come back to her house. Now, surprisingly, 
Pam actually agreed to let Ryan come back, and when she did, Ryan pulled up to her apartment and put her and Nathan in his car. The plan was for the three of them to then drive back to Ryan's house. However, they decided to make a pit stop along the way, or Ryan decided to make a pit stop along the way, and that pit stop was to the crime scene, Gail and Rick's house. When they got to the house, a direct quote from Pam is, quote, We stopped at Rick's truck, and that's when I saw Rick. And then Ryan grabbed my wrist, walked me into the house, to the bedroom, and that's where I saw Gail. He lifted up the pillow and said to me, If you go to police or tell anybody what I did here, this could happen to you, end quote. Now, it's interesting to think of what Ryan's thought process was here, whether he thought that it was a threat and a scare tactic to bring Pam to the crime scene to where he had just shot his sister and his brother-in-law and to show her what he had done. It's just hard to imagine. It's hard to imagine any of this first of all, but it's hard to imagine what Ryan's thought process and what his motivation and justification was in bringing Pam to the house. However, whatever the reasoning was, afterwards, Pam and Ryan got back into his car and they drove over to Ryan's home. The next morning when Pam woke up, she had asked Ryan to take her back to her house. That way she could get ready and get changed to go to work that day. Ryan agreed to do so. However, before they left, Ryan showed Pam the 22 caliber rifle along with the bag of clothes that he was wearing on the night of the murder to her, further to instill this idea that if she ever spoke to the police, that this could happen to her. And it was on that car ride from Ryan's house back to Pam's apartment that Ryan told Pam that the two of them needed to come up with an alibi. And that is when they came up with the alibi that they were at Ryan's friend's house on the night of the 21st. Ryan told Pam that if anyone asked her or if the police were to speak with her, that that was the story that they needed to stick to. Now, you might be sitting here wondering a lot of things, probably, because I know I was, but my biggest question in all of this from the very beginning was why? Why did Ryan feel the need to murder, brutally murder, his sister and his brother-in-law? And Pam had the same set of questions, and this is when she was met with the horrifying reality of why Ryan felt like he needed to kill his sister and Rick. Ryan had informed Pam that the reason that he killed Gail was because Ryan and Gail had a sexual relationship when they were teenagers. The reason he ended up murdering her was for two reasons. One, his jealousy over his sister's new relationship with her husband, and two, the fact that he was also worried about the fact that Gail could potentially tell Rick about the relationship that Ryan and Gail had when they were younger. Now, according to Ryan, this relationship that he had with Gail began when he was 12 and Gail was 10. So Ryan is two years older than Gail. He claimed that in the beginning, everything was very innocent. The two of them would be in the shower together or the bath together, and they would be comparing each other's body parts. However, he claimed that there was no contact. Then about a year later, when Ryan was 13 and Gail was 11, the two of them had smoked weed in the car together and began groping each other. These instances then continued on several times over the following years. 
Now, according to Ryan, all of the instances stopped way before Gail had met Rick. However, there was always a sense of jealousy about the relationship. Ryan remembers that when him, Gail, and Rick were on a boat one day, Ryan was staring at Gail in a bathing suit and could tell that Rick was watching him stare at his wife. And this is when the snowball effect of Ryan's thoughts began and he started to get worried that Rick would figure out his family secret. So that was Ryan's motivation. It was jealousy along with the fact that he was worried that Gail was going to unleash this deep, dark secret that they had. And so because of that, on the night of November 21st of 1987, Ryan told Pam that he went over to Rick and Gail's and had a heated discussion During this heated discussion, Rick had asked Ryan to leave the home, and initially Ryan did. However, all he did was go to his car and come back with a gun. Now, Ryan acted like he was going to leave. However, he came back into the house shortly after walking out the door and told Rick that he was having car trouble and needed help. This is when Rick walked outside with Ryan and got into his own truck to put on his shoes. However, before he knew it, Ryan pulled out a gun and shot him several times in the head. After murdering Rick, he then walked inside up to Gail and Rick's room and shot Gail several times in the head as well. So now Pam has all of this information. She has learned that not only has her boyfriend murdered his sister and his brother-in-law. However, she also learned that her boyfriend had a sexual relationship with his sister when they were teenagers. And throughout processing all of this information, she is also going to the funerals with Ryan and she is seeing Ryan act sad and upset and trying to play this part of the grieving brother when in reality, he was the one responsible for everyone else's grief. Now, hopefully none of us will ever be able to understand what Pam was going through and what her mindset was when she learned all of this information. And so we're not going to be able to say exactly how we would have gone about it. However, what Pam did was nothing. She took this information, pushed it under the rug, and went on to have three children with Ryan as well as get married to him. And Pam stood by Ryan's side through and through. She supported the theory that Ryan told police. And Ryan's theory was that Gail and Rick were killed by a motorcycle gang who were trying to target the previous occupant of Gail and Rick's house. So that was the theory that they were rolling with. However, again, there was no evidence to prove that to be true. So now let's go back to that initial second interview in October of 2012. Pam does not confess to police everything she knows at this point. All she does is tell them that the alibi that they originally came up with was not true. She does not tell them about what Ryan confessed to her. She doesn't say anything about that. All she says is that the alibi that they originally came up with was not true. She said that she didn't know where Ryan was throughout the night on November 21st. She said that he came in and out, left several times, didn't know where he went, but that original alibi was false. 
Now, as I mentioned earlier, Pam and Ryan were interviewed separately. And when Ryan went in for his interview and he learned that Pam had basically thrown him under the bus in regards to the alibi, Ryan called Pam and immediately started screaming at her and claimed that the only reason that she could have come up with this is because that the detectives must have mistreated her. The detectives must have convinced Pam that this is what happened and that the alibi was false, which if you take a step back and think about it, is very bizarre because Ryan and Pam pretty much collectively have been keeping this secret buried together. It is the biggest skeleton in their closet. And now Ryan is trying to twist the story, saying that none of this could have happened and that Pam is lying. And why are you lying? Why are you telling them this? When in reality, if what Pam is saying is true, then the two of them have known about this for years at this point, decades at this point. So it's interesting to see that if what Pam is saying is true, Ryan is flipping a little bit of a switch in this. So now we move on to January. So several months later from that October 2012 interview, specifically January 18th. On January 18th, police arrived at Pam's job and they told Pam that they wanted to speak with her again. And at this point, Pam had reached her limit. She was offered an HR representative to sit in on the interview with her. However, she actually excused the HR representative and told them that she wanted them out of the room because she didn't want them to hear what she was about to say. And it was then that Pam unleashed everything she knew. She started from start to finish and confessed to everything that Ryan had told her from the first night of November 21st all the way until now. She claimed that the reason that she didn't tell authorities to begin with was for two reasons. The first being that she loved Ryan and that she wanted to be with him and she didn't want to throw him under the bus. And the second reason was that after so much time had passed, Pam was worried that she would somehow be linked into this murder, be linked just due to her knowledge. And she was afraid of coming forward to the police. And now that police finally had this confession from Pam, they were able to fully link Ryan to the crime scene. They linked him through the circumstantial evidence that they had. They didn't have any physical evidence because they still did not have the murder weapon. However, they were able to move forward with an arrest. And so several months later in March, Ryan was arrested. And it was after Ryan's arrest that more and more people started coming forward and telling police of the strange and odd encounters that they had with Ryan after the murders. According to Ryan and Gail's aunt, she claimed that after the murders and during the funeral, Ryan went up to his aunt and said, do you think that I could have killed them? Not only that, she also remembers him telling her, Sometimes I wonder if I could have done this. Ryan's ex-girlfriend, Crystal, also came forward to police and claimed that on the week of the murders, Ryan confided in Crystal because the two of them remained friends after their relationship and told her about the sexual encounters that he had had with his sister while they were teenagers. And he also confessed that their last sexual encounter had been haunting Ryan because he felt like he had forced Gail into the act. Now, regardless of all of this, all of these statements that are claiming to have been made, 
all of the circumstantial evidence against him, Ryan pled not guilty to the charges against him. Therefore, a trial began. Now, mostly everything that was stated in the trial is what I already told you. However, Ryan's niece also took the stand and recounted a time where Ryan got very emotional after Gail's death and said that he felt like he had raped his sister and never got the chance to apologize. Now, again, this is a very strong and bizarre statement to make about anyone, first of all, but the fact that this is happening after his sister had died and everyone just decided to brush it under the rug is a little jarring. Now, Ryan decided to testify in his own trial, and he stated that all of these statements that are being said about him are simply taken out of context. He said that he truly believes that Gail and Ryan were killed as a result of a motorcycle gang. He claimed that the first time that he became aware of the murders was at 5 p.m. on the 23rd of November while he was at his brother's house. He said that he believed that Pam was mistreated in her interviews with authorities, and she was coerced into making statements against him. He said that while he had been arrested and in jail awaiting trial, he had sent Pam approximately 29 letters asking her why she was lying to everyone. He said he believed that Pam could be going along with this story for movie rights so that his family could have a movie based on them one day and Pam would get the credit. Now, while he was on the stand, he adamantly denied having any involvement in the murders. Now, Ryan and Gail had another sister named Cheryl, and she also took the stand. Now, according to Cheryl, she claimed that she learned about Gail and Rick's murder on the day of the 23rd after her dad had called her to tell her the news. Now, according to Cheryl, she claims that she actually had suspicions about Ryan from the very beginning. Her suspicions started several days after the murders, just based on Ryan's behavior and some of the things that he was saying. Cheryl also recounted a conversation that she had with Ryan several years after the murders when he talked about shooting an animal in his backyard with a 22 caliber revolver, which is the same exact gun that was used to murder Gail and Rick. Now, Cheryl actually said that she stated some of her concerns to authorities. However, they just got looked over. There's really no rhyme or reason to know why authorities didn't look into these statements more clearly and more thoroughly. However, they simply got overlooked, which is very unfortunate. Throughout the trial, Ryan was very vocal about his innocence. He was known to display erratic behavior throughout the trial, whether that was crying or screaming or just speaking out of context. In his testimony, he stated, quote, Lord, I didn't do this. You know I didn't do this. I just told the truth. I didn't kill my sister and you know it. So here I am, an innocent man, shackled for no reason other than what Repper and Blakely suggested to his wife, end quote. That was just one of the many moments throughout the trial where Ryan would burst out and start getting very worked up about everything. Not saying that that's not justified because this is a very high pressure situation. However, it definitely did not do him any favors. Now, after a several week long trial, it only took the jury four hours 
of deliberation to convict Ryan Wingarden guilty of two counts of first-degree murder for the deaths of Rick and Gail Brink. The judge told Ryan during his sentencing, quote, this was a brutal homicide. You are a brutal, cold-blooded murderer, end quote before handing Ryan two life sentences without the possibility of parole. So that is the case of Gail and Rick Brink. And I do think it's interesting because I had a lot of questions in regards to this case, mainly when it came to the relationship that Gail had with Ryan, her brother. And I say relationship for lack of a better word because I don't know how else to describe it. However, my questions more so revolve around whether or not this was the only time that Ryan had expressed these desires on his siblings. As we know, he has several sisters and it was never brought up whether or not this was something that he had done with his other sisters or whether this was specifically with Gail. Again, not that it needs to be public knowledge or really is anyone's business to begin with. However, it would be interesting to know if he had pinned Gail out and targeted her or if he was preying on all of his siblings. It would also be interesting to know if Ryan had ever offended again after this attack. And the whole issue of Pam not calling police for 24 years is an issue within itself. However, along with that, Ryan then takes all of that, all of the 24 years, all of the secrets that they had kept and calls Pam a liar so quickly. Because personally, I do believe Pam. I believe that Ryan is guilty of this. But what I find so interesting is that Pam was willing to keep a secret for 24 years for Ryan. Not saying that I agree with it because I don't. I don't think that's a good secret to keep. But I think that it's interesting that after the 24 years, when Pam finally confesses to the knowledge that she knows, Ryan is so quick to turn on her and say that she's crazy, she's lying, she was manipulated, she was mistreated, and all of it goes out the window. Granted, what was his other option? Saying, yes, I did this, put me in jail. It's probably not going to happen. But I just think it's interesting to see that timeline and how quickly both of them were willing to turn on each other during this. I also think it's a very big issue that Pam did not call the police and that she was harboring this information for 24 years, regardless of the fact that it's her husband, it's the father of her kids, yada, yada. She still knew that Ryan had brutally murdered two people, not just two people, his whole, his own family, and was willing to keep that secret. It doesn't sit right with me, but I'm really interested to hear what you guys have to say about this one. So with that being said, you guys, that is all for me today. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Killer Instinct. If you're new here, hi, my name is Savannah, and I'm your host of Killer Instinct. Again, make sure you go ahead and hit that subscribe button. That way you never miss an episode. We post weekly on the podcast every Wednesday and on YouTube, and you're not going to want to miss it. I'll be back next week with a brand new one for you guys. And until then, stay safe. Bye, guys. Bye.